Hi everyone and welcome to Table Manners for Robots. I am super excited about this particular show. I know that I say that a lot, but I really mean it this time. Um, we have today a very special guest, uh, someone who's seen as uh, perhaps the world over, the thought leader in the field of end-user computing. Uh, you know, what does that mean? It's really about how do people interact with um, with their devices, how do they uh, interact um, uh, in terms of, uh, like, how do they interact with their, with their organization's IT infrastructure? You know, um, how, do we, how do we relate to the end user? How do we make the experience, um, you know, as, as pleasant as possible to optimize productivity for every person in the organization, despite their unique working style and their unique requirements and, and taking, today, uh, taking into account today's landscape where we have multiple devices, we have all sorts of different formats of work. How do we optimize optimize for the individual. That's really what we want to talk about. And I'm really excited to have perhaps, um, like I said, the foremost leader on the planet today to uh, give us his view on end user computing. We're going to definitely look at it from a South African um, context. We have some local panelists as well. So we're going to really make the discussion as local as possible while bringing in this wonderful um, international perspective. Uh, so without further ado, let me just get right into the introductions and uh, have the guests introduce themselves because I can never do it justice. Uh, let's start uh, later. Ladies first, Natalie, tell us a little bit about your background. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, it's quite intimidating being in Brian's, Brian's company because he is the, the leader when it comes to end-user computing. And I think from a, both Bernard and myself, we're very privileged to be, be in Brian's company today. So, um, yes, I'm Natalie van Staden. I'm the Principal Practice Manager for Productivity and Collaboration within um, the Dimension Data Intelligent Workplace Go-To-Market. I've been with Dimension Data for 13 years in, in several roles spanning from service delivery to sales to product management and now managing a practice. Um, I think just a little bit about the intelligent workplace go to market within Dimension Data and that it goes very nicely into your introduction is that our primary focus is enhancing our clients' employee comfort, collaboration and productivity while delivering a superior customer experience at every touch point. And I think that touch point is exactly what you were speaking about earlier, because in today's world, it is anywhere, any device. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's right. That's fantastic. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that, Nats. I'm going to call you Nats. Um, Bernard, let's talk uh, to you quickly uh, before we move to Brian. So tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, hi, everyone. Um, so firstly, uh, good to be on the on the second webinar with, with Brian. Uh, we, we had one probably about six, eight weeks ago, so, so that's great. Um, I think before I introduce myself, I, I've worked with, with Natalie probably for about 10 years. Um, I think uh, a little bit of context, I, I am two meters tall. Um, so, so Brian, for you, that's that's about seven feet. Um, and this this literally is the first time that Natalie and myself have seen eye to eye <laughs> about anything. So I thought it's only because I'm standing <laughs> on a sandbox. <laughs> Maybe let me just put that out there. Uh, my name is Bernard Skittercut. Uh, I am a product manager within the intelligent workplace go to market. So so pretty much the practice that that Natalie heads up. Uh, my focus is on product and service development within the intelligent workplace uh, go-to-market, uh, which does have a large focus on the traditional end-user compute space. And I have been at Dimension Data for, for 20 years, so I do trump Natalie on that as well. <laughs> Awesome and welcome, uh, Bernard. All right, so let's go to the man of the moment. Um, 
Uh, I must tell you, uh, Brian, you know, as someone who's been in the field of IT myself for a few decades now, um, you know, you can see with all my gray hair, I've, I've grown up in IT. Um, you know, it's a big honor for me to, to, to do an interview with you. Uh, you know, I've uh, read a lot of your material. I know you've written a whole bunch of books. Uh, you've pretty much become the thought leader for us um, around the world. So it's like a super big honor to be able to interview you. I don't want to like overdo it right the second, but just so you know what, what you're walking into here. And then... Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I, I couldn't possibly do your background justice. So maybe if you could just give us a few words to summarize some of your some of your key points that will uh, for those for those who might not be familiar with your work, uh, just to bring you into context. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. And um, happy to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm coming to you now from Seattle in the USA. It is 1.05 a.m. for me. Um, but I am highly coffeeed this morning, as I hope all you are. Um, I love the show is called Table Manners for Robots. And you talked about in your intro explaining what end user computing is about how we want to like economize and make efficient and all this kind of stuff. It sounded very like Orwellian, right? And then you talked about me as a thought leader, um, which <laughs> means like I feel like the giant robot of this of, of this whole um, movement. But, uh, you, you know, I, I've been doing this 25 years. Uh, I'm, I'm 25 years into my IT career, and I've always focused on sort of the end user. I mean, started answering phones at the help desk. Um, show of hands for everyone who started out on the help desk. I feel like that's a, a good place to start your IT career. Fantastic. Um, and but I've always I've always been sort of looking at how not just the people, the human people use their computers and devices, but also how um, the companies manage those devices. And that's what I've dedicated my entire 25 years to. So. Like you said, I had a website. I did a bunch of books, conferences, and stuff. That's all, you know, different jobs over the years. Um, I currently currently work at VMware um, in our end user computing group, um, and I work in the office of the CTO, um, where I do uh, webcasts in the middle of the night. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, it, since February, my job is sitting here and doing webcasts. That's pretty much it. Awesome. That's a great background. Now, we couldn't possibly take another step on this webinar without getting some background explanation to this wonderful sweater that you have brought to the webinar. <laughs> well, uh, good eye, sir. It is a wonderful sweater. Uh, this is, this is uh, it's actually an American football team. Let me see if I can see this. It's the, uh, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, it's actually a Christmas sweater, uh, but uh, the Cleveland Browns colors are orange and brown. And um, it's autumn time here in, in the U.S. And the kind of the trees are turning and the weather's getting crisp. Um, and I figured, you know, you're only going to see the top three inches. No one will know it's a Cleveland Browns sweater. The <laughs> Cleveland Browns, fun fact, have never been to a Super Bowl. They've been a team since the beginning of the NFL. Never even been. Forget winning. Never been in 50-whatever years. Wow. Uh, you are caught up with Browns football. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> now, there's something I didn't know for sure. That's very cool. All right, so now we're going to get into some of this um, this this wonderful conversation that we've got, um, you know, teed up here. Everyone's excited to get into it. Um, so just a message to the attendees, as always, this is a very interactive webinar format. Table Manners for Robots is all about you guys pitching in and becoming part of the discussion as much as possible. So send through your questions on the Q&A box. I will take up your questions and I will ensure that every single comment and question is addressed during the life of the webinar. All right. So let's go into the situation in South Africa right now. So, Nats, how about you kick us off here? Um, what are your thoughts high level on the, you know, the, just the context uh, in South Africa right now? 
So, yeah, so for me, I mean, South Africa was one of the, the, the countries that went into hard lockdown very early in the COVID pandemic. Um, the initial lockdown and response from many of, of the organizations within South Africa was to enable staff for or in the support of essential services, um, you know, within our country. And a, a big, big focus and priority for us at that stage was healthcare. Um, the, the consequences of that hard lockdown that we went into and enabling essential services within our within our country, you know, it, it allowed us to to manage and contain the virus, you know, the, the spread of the virus effectively, as well as some of, you know, the, the death rate within our country, you know, has stabilized a little bit. Um, I think the next the next wave or from a country perspective is we as a society, we need to be vigilant to limit the impact of the potential second wave like we're seeing in the USA and in Europe, in Europe at the moment. All right, cool. That's awesome. Thanks for that. Um, let's speak to um, Bernard for a second here. Um, I mean, just about everyone is talking about remote work. And I know that from a computing perspective, you know, you have a whole bunch of service providers who are getting in on this discussion as quickly as possible. So everyone wants to talk about remote work and what services can be sold and what can be done in this area. But like, what are some of the perhaps maybe some of the deeper, more unspoken points around the subject of remote work? So I'm actually going to start with a, a spoken point as opposed to an unspoken point, if, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd actually like, uh, like Ryan's view on this as well. Um, I'm, I'm not mad about the, the term remote work, quite honestly. So about a month ago, I was on a, on a um, Sam Harris podcast, a big Sam Harris fan. Um, and they were talking about work from home and they were talking about remote work and how the syntax is actually quite important because those terms imply certain things. Um, so, for example, remote work implies that there's some kind of central work happening somewhere um, and that that central work is potentially more important than the remote work. Um, and the same with work from home. It's great to call it work from home. Um, if you are working from home, if you're working from anywhere else, obviously, then, then that term um, isn't, isn't really correct. Um, and I think the terms that resonate with me more are, are things like distributed work um, or flexible work. Um, I think they're probably more true to, to, to where it is we're, we're moving towards. Um, I, I don't know your view on that, Brian. Everything you're saying, I agree with completely. You know, um, I definitely believe the big challenge for organizations is going to be um, figuring out how we take those users who are working wherever they happen to be versus users who are working in, in a more centralized location. How do we ensure that all of them are are equals? Uh, uh, and of course, we're going to have some that are both that are you know want to work in the office a few days and, and work not in the office a few days. Um, so everything around that I think is very important. And you know, if you just most of the business magazines over the past six months have been about how do you ensure that remote employees are you know treated the same as as not remote employees. I think one of the first steps is stop calling them remote employees. How about that? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I suppose if, if we if we roll back um, a year, um, you know, life was fairly easy. Um, we we understood what it is we were working with, um, and we were all by and large um, office-based workers. So I mean, you know, we're talking about various versions of normal: uh, the old normal, the current normal, the new normal. Um, our normal at the time was that you know we'd get in our car, we'd sit in in, in peak peak traffic, and and we'd end up at the office uh, two hours later. Um, thanks to, to COVID and, and the hard lockdown in South Africa, um, one of the things that happened is, happened we, is we, we, were all, we were all at home. 
all literally sent home overnight. Um, and, and, and that became our normal. So um, I think the, 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 we, we went from being entirely office-based to entirely working from home. And now that the lockdown is easing up, we're finding that the new normal is probably somewhere between those two extremes. Um, so we're probably looking at some kind of hybrid work model um, where you would go into the office when required um, and you could also work from, from various other locations. Um, I think we've learned a couple of lessons through, through this, this hard lockdown. Um, the first one is that it, um, it was much easier sending everybody home and en enabling them to be productive than we had initially thought. So um, lockdown came uh, and, a, and a week later we were at home, we were productive, we had our productivity tools. Um, and these are projects that organizations were, were thinking about pre-COVID and pre-lockdown. Um, and and they, were, they were saying they would need to plan for, for two, three, four, five years um, to pull a project like this off. Um, and I think what we found out is that, you know, it's, it's days to action instead of really years to plan. Yeah. Um, the second one, I think, which, which resonates with me is that, that, that COVID may have forced our hand here. I mean, we, we had to do this. Um, if, if people are getting sick and people are dying, then, then obviously, you know, it's, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, but I think there's many uh, socioeconomic reasons and, and corporate respons social responsibilities that should make us think twice about automatically just all heading back to the office um, as, as the COVID pandemic um, sort of, you know, uh, eases up. Um, and, and like I said, there's, there's various factors there um, and, and we can maybe unpack them a little bit later. Um, I think another one which, and I was actually chatting to Natalie about this um, just, just prior to this, this, this particular webinar, um, and that is that a distributed flexible work style is actually a huge culture change for many organizations. And in fact, the bigger the organization, probably the bigger the culture change. Um, and culture within an organization needs to be driven by, by the C-levels and by senior management. Um, and I think a fantastic example here is that if you have a CEO that advocates uh, distributed work, uh, but she herself comes into the office every day, that then sends a subconscious signal to the rest of the employees that basically says, you know, what I'm saying and what I'm doing is not the same thing. Um, and if you see the CEO in the office every day, I mean, I personally would end up coming into the office as well because I, I would I would get the impression that, that that's where I'm expected to be. Um, I think something else that's interesting is that statistics show that by and large uh, knowledge workers, and I'm going to talk knowledge workers here, are more productive in a distributed flexible work style. Um, and I think that's a win-win situation for both the employee and the employer. Um, and then I think just one final point is that distributed work or flexible work doesn't mean that we, we have no want or need um, for face-to-face -face interactions. Um, and th that can be with our colleagues, it can be with our clients. Um, and distributed work, according to me, actually gives us the flexibility to productively meet in, in many more locations um, than we were previously you know, accustomed to. So uh, I don't think that it is going to diminish or necessarily diminish the, 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 the human touch.
Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, lots of uh, good uh, insights. And I think we're definitely going to be taking up uh, a few of those during the course of the conversation. Uh, Brian, let's let's get some of your thoughts on um, at least one of those points. So obviously, we concluded this mammoth uh, planetary wide uh, remote work project in perhaps around two days for most parts uh, of the world. Um, you know, it's something that would typically have taken uh, project teams, uh, you know, years to complete, perhaps. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And what does that mean for us? Um, yeah, first of all, I'll tell you what, it means a lot of these projects probably took a lot longer than they needed to. Uh, I mean, that's, that's something that we, that we learned, right? Like if, if I came to you and said that, I think, you know, I want all the, your users to be working from home, um, and f- fully productive, uh, you know, how long will that take to plan? I would 18 months and testing, we're going to do this and roll up test and get, and, you know, we figured it out. And it was choppy for, for a few days, but, you know, with, within a day or two, everyone was gone. And within a week or two, we pretty much had to figure it out. We, the industry, all of us, right? Um, and so, so that, that's cool. You know, we can do a lot more, a lot quicker with a lot less precise information. And I think also the thing is it really is, you know, they talk about agile software development, like just do lots of small incremental changes over, you know, a little bit, month, 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 instead of going for years between releases. Um, there's a there's a trend now in IT to do like the similar agile software, but the approach to IT in, in general, right? Calling it DevOps or um, IT ops, you know, whatever you want to use. And that's the same kind of thing here is, you know, get out the door, get home. Okay, get this app working, get this app working. Like you don't need to make the monolithic architecture to monolithic big decision. Um, just do what's good enough and then just keep on iterating and just iterate every few days, every few days. And you know what? It's October now. It's November now almost. Um, we went home in February. Yeah. Okay, it was rough for a month or two, but like it's good now, and we're worrying about other things. Mm-hmm. I want all IT to be this way. Yeah, very good perspective there, uh, Brian. I really love what you say there. That you know sometimes we need to just be chasing good enough, as opposed to uh, you know you know all the bells and whistles. And I think that um, uh, COVID really really showed that 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 is the legitimate way forward. Um, we're getting some uh, some comments coming through. Um, you know, while I while I go and take some comments, uh, Nats, do you want to just pick up from this from this piece? Do you have any client examples that come to mind when we talk about um, this whole remote work transition that happened over a two day period? Yeah, so we maybe didn't do it over a two day period, but potentially over a week period. But we did have clients that and exactly what Brian says, that we're thinking about how do we enable remote working styles for employees and potentially even um, call center, contact center type employees. Um, because t- traditionally, your contact center applications is all very clunky on-premise, it's integrated with your voice systems, and how do you actually plan to get those users or call center agents working from home? And we did have a client where we managed to get them operational with about 600 agents within a week period, and it's exactly what Brian says, is you get them home, you, you make sure that the first application works, and then you tackle the next one, and then you tackle the next one, and eventually you're gonna get to a point where you can then start worrying about the nice-to-haves. Um, you know, for example, you, you make sure that the, the agent is operational and once the agent is operational, then you start potentially looking at locking down again and securing and all of those elements where I think previously we would have worried about the lockdown and the security far more in the initial stages and less about the productivity of the end user where flipping it the other way around has made us, you know, get get into the situation of a remote work, distributed workforce far quicker. 
Mm-hmm. Very good insight you, you there. Know, and it's really about reversing that entire um, uh, typical workflow instead of being excessively like cautious about everything before we go live. It's about taking that plunge, getting started, and then figuring out things a little bit as we go along. I think very good insights and there. It, um, a comment here yeah. um, from Wayne. Uh, sorry, he says, I want to jump in on her. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go also. ahead. Sorry. I, I just want to make sure I'm not going on to a different topic because I, I do want to highlight something important you said, which was, um, you know, then once we get the base stuff running, then we can do the nice to haves such as security. Now, I would never say that security is a nice to have. But, no, 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 I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with, hang with me, hang with me. I would never say security is a nice to have, but guess what in this pandemic? Get out of the office first, security second. That's yeah. what happened. And security wasn't done until months later when um, all those articles came out that all these people went home and IT has no idea, just fundamental gaps in security. And so so the thing is, I think what, what that taught us is that um, it's important to have a plan, not a pandemic plan, because we just had a pandemic. We don't want to make a new plan to plan against what got us yesterday, the general flexibility of our environments. Um, and, you know, thinking about that, thinking that through and thinking how security applies and everything, that's what I think is going to be interesting that companies are going to do from this now because of your point. And I, and, and I apologize for jumping in, but I did want to point out that you said security is um, a nice to have, which is absolutely what has been happening this past six months. Yeah. Unlike any other time in IT, in my entire career. That's, that's yeah. a big, big, big uh, thing that's happening now, which is very interesting. Yeah, if you think about it, I mean, the way that we used to secure and be compliant and patch, I mean, it was it was quite easy because every every device that you had was the main joint and you could use whatever tool set you've got. Now you go into an environment where people are, um, you know, they're just internet facing most of the time. And how do you actually do cloud-based management? And organizations weren't really um, as mature in that cloud-based management as where we are today. And again, it's like what Bernard said earlier, a project like that would have taken us 18 months to two years to plan and deploy. It happened within a two-month period. Brian, can I just can I ask you to just repeat that one sentence you've got? We did more with, with less. Um, what was the exact wording? Because I think it's fantastic. It sums the entire thing up. <laughs> we'll have to check the tape. I don't. I don't remember the specific. Um, we're all doing, but okay. more with less. Yeah. Don't don't know what I said. Um, we'll we'll uh, tease right. with that. And uh, it's one a.m. We we forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So 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 um, just something here that uh, just to keep the train of thought going here. I think that I think that Brian made a very bold statement, and even I listening to him, even though I'm very um, in tune with the subject, even I like did a bit of a double take. When, when he when he pointed out the sequence that it was first format and then security, and it's not to say that it's right or wrong. It is to say that that's what happened, you know. Um, and 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 I think that there is something underneath this that that we can probably look at. You know, security in in so many instances can be used as a reason not to. But when we were faced with with a massive thrust to get going and to get people productive, it was very clear what the priority had to be. And I think that um, as we go through our discussion today, I hope that comes through more and more and more because there is a lot of security um, dialogue happening right now. And I think that we, we need to pick up the, the security conversation. But it's interesting to see that the first step that we all had to take to make this two-day project a reality was just to get going. Uh, there's a comment here from Wayne, and he says that distributed workforce is definitely the new normal for us. Our challenges ahead are around security. So very much in line with where we're at with the conversation. 
So let's just keep going here for a second. Um, uh, you know, um, before we move on back to Brian, um, Nats, I'd like you to just give a quick comment. Before we, you know, dissect the conversation too much, is this a bi big business problem or a small business problem or does it not have a, um, like a segmentation? I don't believe it's got a segmentation. I think the factors that brought us to this change in work style affects all businesses, irrelevant of size, irrespective of size, sorry. Um, you know, small businesses had to adapt far quicker in order to keep their doors open, for example. And, you know, what we find is that in the large organizations, the change that happened, but there was a big culture shift that needed to take place with the larger organizations, but it did affect businesses of all size. Right, absolutely. Okay, good. So now we're seeing that this is not just one of those situations that's a big budget conversation. It is something that is uh, true across the board. And the solutions, again, are very available to uh, small businesses um, and businesses uh, and big businesses alike. Now, I just want to go into the, um, to some of the more mechanical aspects of day-to-day -day, uh, work. So this is ultimately about getting work done, right? No matter the kind of job that people do. So we have HR execs. They are busy um, with employee data, uh, you know, in their kitchens. There's a lot of exposure of data in their kitchens. And then we have financial controllers moving millions uh, from their lounges. This is the world of remote work. And this is the world of work as we see it today. So, Brian, I just wanted to know from you, I mean, what are some of the concerns? What are some of the things that business leaders need to start thinking about in order to feel OK with this? I guess the first thing that's important to know is that um, someone working with customer data in their home, someone working with, um, you know, sensitive data, quote, outside the office, um, as, long, as long as that is regulatorily compliant, um, from a security standpoint, there doesn't have to be a risk there. Uh, so the, the, the fast way, the, the, the short version of what I just said um, uh, is you can have patient data in the kitchen and still be secure. That is absolutely possible today. It's been possible for the past 10 years. Um, the, the reason we got in trouble with COVID, again, we all global IT industry, the reason that we all got in trouble with COVID is because we had a use case scenario that we didn't plan for. You know, so like maybe, you know, we, we had we had computers, there were desktop computers and they were accessing these systems in the office and everything. And, you know, um, I didn't think about it. And then they took them home and access from home. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, there's a way that that doesn't make sense. But it's because I didn't think that through. So all these security problems like let's not this isn't that the industry can't solve it. It's that we all went to an unplanned scenario, which, again, I don't blame anyone for that. That That's fine. But now we can actually start to start to plan with how things work. And it doesn't even matter what the technologies. There's lots of different technologies that can do this. But but it is absolutely possible for anyone anywhere to access any information, any data uh, in a very secure way. And no matter how secure that is, depending on what kind of data it is and how much you want to spend and you know how many factors of authentication and device, there's a million factors that go into this. But you can absolutely make everything secure anywhere, anytime. That's a very real thing today. Okay, cool. So that's definitely comforting to know that from a from a solution and infrastructure point of view, that there are means and methods to 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 keep things as secure as possible, 
even though we are permitting very novel and very um, flexible working formats. And it doesn't, one doesn't have to come at the expense of the other. Um, I've got a question here from uh, Lorenzia and Brian, while, we, while we've got you here, let me just keep going. Um, it's, a, it's a very broad question, but maybe if you could share some, some high level thoughts. How do you manage an employee's actual productivity? Uh, like how do you make sure that they are in fact doing work and how many hours they're doing? I mean, this is a pretty broad question on the subject of productivity. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yes, uh, ask an HR expert. Um, I, and I'm not really even joking. Like I, I, I'm an IT person. Um, my history is my expertise is in the technology. Um, people who are technologists, as myself, should not be making business policy like this kind of thing. So I think that's one of the things that's very important is that we recognize a lot of these questions are being asked to the IT department. Let's make sure that whomever in our organization is responsible for this kind of stuff is actually brought into that and is part of that conversation. Okay, um, cool. In my in my role, I've actually started engaging a lot more with HR departments. Um, historically, as a technology person, I was just only IT maybe a CIO, maybe a CFO every once in a while. But now what we're doing almost every day, we're talking to HR departments because all of your IT applications, you know, you're doing onboarding and before employees are even hired. Um, and also like when people uh, leave the organization, how do we know that we disable everything properly? Um, and there, we're, we're tying into, um, you know, a lot of countries do have different rules around working hours and, um, you know, you, you cannot check your email at night or else we have to pay you for another hour or rules around what employees are or what employers are allowed to do when they look at employees like in the united states um if you have a company provided device pretty much all bets are off that employer can do whatever they want they can spy i mean they can't like turn the webcam on and watch you you know taking a shower but they can they can they can watch screen record they can do everything um but if it's a personal device that you own and use for work they can do nothing so so it's it, it's very different so so my point is again this is why when questions like this come in about how do we ensure productivity ensure working hours make sure that hr or or whatever the, your version of um your organization is of that uh, make sure that, that they're involved um you know, other than that look productivity is um you know is a measure it, productivity is not output productivity is not outcome productivity is a ratio between um like input and an output and so, um, you know, how much work product someone creates maybe goes down when they're at home, but maybe you're also saving money because they, you know, you don't have to pay for an office for them. So your productivity doesn't change. Um, it's just now you might grow a little bit because people are all over. So my point is also like it's, when you start thinking about productivity and this kind of stuff, there's so much that goes into it. I mean, gosh, I'm single and have no kids. Aren't I lucky? I mean, my parents wouldn't think so, but um, my COVID friends with kids sure think so, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know what I've been doing since uh, end of February? Anything I want, uh, because it's just me here. It's 1 a.m. and I don't care. Uh, and so everyone is so random with like what they um, their home situations are. Um, so like to try and track, you know, getting into like employees and what are they doing? And you know, Microsoft Office is doing all this stuff. We can look at how engaged users are and everything and uh, slippery, slippery, slippery slope. <laughs> I think these are very um, important points. And I think um, I, I especially like the fact that uh, we need to be very clear about the fact that IT is 
in you know we always say this but I, i'm not sure whether we always think it is that ultimately the the enabling factor is it so it can make it possible but there is still the factor of policy and the factor of uh, business rules for lack of a better term that needs to be overlaid on what's possible what's made possible by it but just because it is made possible or because it's there for the taking it doesn't equate to policy and we need to superimpose policy as the senior factor above the that infrastructure layer um so i think that that's really good uh, insight there uh brian and i mean uh, you know like let's just um talk a little bit more now let's delve deeper into end user computing the reality is that covid you know there's been a lot of you would know better than anyone all the work and discussion on end user computing over the years and then covid came and then this whole concept of end user computing became a very big thing that you know a lot more people are sensitive to today than ever before so where's end user computing today what are you, what are your high level thoughts um i mean i i don't think covid changed the definition of anything you know to to me uh from a more diving in deeper level deeper into end user computing you know we're managing laptops and desktops for our users we're also managing mobile devices for our users um both of these devices might be owned by the company or might be owned by the employee um we're managing applications for the users which involves windows apps and involves web applications some are internal some are public saas applications um you know we've got things in the cloud we've got things on prem we've got uh you know we're trying to run like intelligence and analytics and databases and all this kind of stuff um you know this is this is no different than it's always sort of been um the 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 real sort of the biggest thing in, in end user computing i think right now is for us to understand that our our users are humans um which is kind of like we are geeks in IT like my user is just an icon on my active directory console <laughs> like you know oh i deleted 10,000 of them <laughs> sorry <laughs> um but it's uh you know but like we actually realized that these are actual uh humans and like what bernard was saying earlier when he talked about you know hybrid work um there's a hi- hybrid work style like we have to understand that that it's some users are going to work want to work at home always like me some users are going to want to work in the office always because they got two kids at home some users are going to want the hybrid thing and so we don't want to have to design for hybrid or this or that it's just don't just make it like so everything works everywhere and that's the same thing with with end user computing right so like for the, from the facilities standpoint we're like just let users work wherever they need to if they're here they move away different country whatever just figure it out that's what we that that's what end user computing is about now is that all these people as human users using whatever device they want anywhere in the world and they got to be able to talk to each other and and use all their applications and get their data and everything needs to work and be secure and they all need to be happy um and like that that's what end user computing is uh and it wasn't that popular in the past because it was just like desktop support essentially um but now we just don't work in buildings and our desktops fit in our pocket um, but but that's what end user computing is to me and that's what this industry is is we're starting to say let's let's really enable our users to do anything anytime anywhere and real that sounds like such a marketing scheme but like real companies are doing that all over the world yeah yeah, yeah and i love i love that last statement you know that uh, it, it did it did come across as a bit of a buzzword for a long time but i think covid really made it a reality because now we we forced because of some environmental pressure we forced to be able to make people work um happily productively from wherever on pretty much any device uh, so on that note um why would you say at this stage um it's insufficient to rely purely on this on this notion of say uh, perhaps uh, windows vdi why is it insufficient to just say that's the infrastructure or that's the format and that's the end of that 
Um, I mean, it, it sort of depends on, um, I don't know. I don't know what the different types of automobiles. They're called different places, different v- types, you know, two-door, four-door, coupe, sedan, sports car, pickup truck, van. Um, where am I going with this? Uh, that's like saying, why aren't all cars four-door sedans? Like, because some people want to haul a ladder in the back and some people have five kids and some people never want to have kids and some, some people like th- th- there's all different ones because it's all different use cases and so 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 vdi you know so so, so first of all but forget vdi windows is you know a, a platform that a lot of devices run a lot of applications are written for it obviously as is mac as is ios as is android as is chrome as is linux as you know um so so different users have different ones for different reasons, and that's fine. So like as a company, we want to support all these. And then for the users who want to use Windows, or for the applications that are Windows applications, um, there's multiple ways to deliver those. You know, if you're a Windows user, you can put Windows on a, um, a laptop, you can put it on a desktop, you can put it on the double folding phone, apparently now, whatever the hell that is. Um, you can, you can, uh, you can put it on a VDI. There's different ways to deliver Windows. You know, Windows applications, you can install locally on your computer you can run them from the web via you know you can run them from a vdi you can run them different ways app feed different ways to do that so so the point is is that um vdi is great windows vdi is fantastic uh it's a great way to deliver windows applications a lot of it reignited in popularity with with, uh, the pandemic um but 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 i don't call windows vdi the future i I mean windows vdi will be around for a long time for the use cases that should be windows desktop delivered delivered from some data center um, that will be a use case for the next several decades, um, and VDI can do that. But there's other ways to do that too, and there's other technologies that people like to use. And um, I, I want everything to work together all at once. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so that's a great message. It's, it's about, uh, um, you know, making peace with a highway that accommodates for every possible vehicle based on user preference, choice, situation, factor, whatever. Doesn't matter the highway should not only accommodate for one particular vehicle. And I think, and, and, and I think that that's the underlying message here, which I think is, is, is a super, super strong message and becoming a lot more, yeah. you know, like, there's so much push behind that. Do you want to say something there? I was just going to say, like, we talk about the delicate snowflake. People use that to make fun of the younger generation. Oh, they're so, you know, particular. The delicate snowflake, they're all different and they all want to be me, 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 me. But you know what? When you look out the window at the snow, uh, the rules as a system, it works. You, you, you don't you don't focus on every single snowflake that comes down. It's just that they come down. Gravity works this way. The wind works this way. They bounce across this way. Like they sort of pile up like the system rules are designed and it's managed and all kind of works well. And the fact of all the snowflakes are different, who cares? And so that's what we're trying to do. Now, the, the, the world we come from is the world where we really care about the snowflake. And are you the right kind of snowflake? And let me check. Do you really have six? Uh, let me see. Have you seen a snowflake before? Hang on a second. I heard they're all different. Let me make sure they're actually all different. Uh, and so <laughs> that was our old world. And now it's just like, man, back up. Look at the snow. They can all be different snowflakes. That's no problem. And we can still just sit there back there and watch it. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good points here. Um, we, we, you know, we, we're coming upon this word um, standardize, standardization. I mean, we, we, we kind of the, the road is taking us there in this conversation. So might as well continue. Um, you know, I, I will confess I come from a background where uh, based on my career choices, I very much punted the argument of standardization across the enterprise. That was my buzzword for many decades, actually. You know, it was just the nature of the work that I did. So, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely speaking from the vantage point of someone who's 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 changing, you know, my own mindsets and my own thoughts around these kind of ideas. Um, so so let's just let's just, uh, you know, 
address the elephant in the room, right? Um, no, no vendors mentioned, but vendors have been talking about standardizing the enterprise for a long time, you know, and it's definitely a push vendor by vendor. It's definitely a push. Each of them have their narrative that's very much built around that standardization uh, point. Um, re realistically speaking, we're talking about the snowflakes, etc. Is the concept of a perfectly standardized single platform environment, is it a reality? I mean, IT is is alive and breathing, li living and breathing. So um, we are always going to be going for the next, 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 and it's kind of like progress is rolling forward because there's always going to be something that, um, you know, like you, you standardize on one thing and then there's the next thing comes and then the next thing comes and progress sort of moves forward. But to take a step back, standardization, you know, you talk about, okay, well, will we standardize on one vendor's products? Sure, that's a, t a form of standardization, but that's not really what the core term means in IT. In the IT comments, standards existed so that multiple vendors' products could work together. And that, to me, is what I think is, is important moving forward. So the standards and the progress that we all make are not necessarily on you will all use vendor X, but rather it's, hey, let's all agree on this mode of communication. So if you have an iOS, you have an iPhone, you have an iPad, you've got Windows, you've got Mac, you're using that product and that database, and you've got this one that's maybe managed here and that's being managed here. Let's all talk at the same level. Let's exchange, um, you know, uh, data signals, you know, security information certificates, all of this kind of stuff so that we can manage our entire estate uh, as, as one platform. Um, and a lot of the vendors will interoperate with different things. So you've got these different vendors that create these standards bodies and do that. Um, and then most of the vendors themselves want to plug in with as many people as possible. Um, I work at VMware and our Workspace ONE product, we have this thing called the Trust Network, which is we are not the experts in all security and all versions of products, um, but there's all these other security um, companies that exist and services that exist. And, and we list our APIs and they list our APIs and you can plug them together and they all sort of share information and, and they both get smarter together. So that's a way of, of also, you know, like when you're when you're standardizing on a, on a platform, that doesn't mean that that platform that you're locked into that is all about the interoperation with sort of everything out there from all the different vendors. Right, 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 right. I think we're talking about we're talking about automobiles and about snowflakes, and and then I needed to pick which which analogy I was I was going to run with. So so uh, I'm I'm happy with either, I suppose. Uh, and, and just to to absolutely agree with you, uh, Brian. So I mean, from our side, um, we we are more than happy with with organisations adopting uh, various vendors. Uh, you've got organisations that are Microsoft aligned or predominantly Google aligned. Um, they use Azure, they use AWS, they use Google Cloud, potentially all together. They have Windows, they have Mac, they have iOS, uh, just as you mentioned. And I think that's something that should be encouraged. Um, as you said, we have all the snowflakes, we have all the automobiles, um, and they should all be available to us. I think where a single platform does make sense is from a, from a management perspective. So, so the UEM concept really does resonate with me. Uh, to me, uh, UEM stands for, for Unified Everything Management. Um, and I know that that's not the official term, but I, I would like to coin it anyway. Um, and I think there it absolutely makes sense. You would you would want to pull all of these um, these systems um, into a single management platform um, because that really just gives you benefits uh, across the board to be able to uh, to have insight, uh, management, control across all of those endpoints, platforms, applications. Uh, from a single pane of glass, I, I think is invaluable. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like, oh, sorry, if I, if I could, I, I, I love, I was going to jump on you for saying UEM. 
because I was going to be like, yeah, but that's just about endpoints. You also need applications and data. And then you come in and drop the unified everything management. Solid. Uh, that, that's great. <laughs> that's it. Because at the end of the day, from a, from a, from a, you know, a CIO perspective or a high-level person perspective, man, you don't care what the users are. We just said they're all snowflakes. I don't care about every single one. Here's the one I want to know. Um, hey, are all my users' devices, are all my users for access to my company data, is that always been accessed from devices that are fully patched? that don't have any security vulnerabilities. Yeah. In the traditional world, if you're not standardized on a, on an EUC platform, then okay, it's like, well, let me ask 14 people and they're gonna ask 14 other people and they're gonna go and like, give me like two days. Um, and that's exactly how, when you see um, like that Maersk, um, when they got bit lockered, what's that called? Uh, ransomware, you know, the shipping <clears throat> company that got ransomware like three years ago and they got shut down globally is because, well, the IT department had sent out the email encouraging people to upgrade their servers, you know, the, and the, this, you have to have one place to go and just be like, are my users online? Are they working? Is it secure? Can they get, are they happy? Do they know how to call me if they got support? You know, that's what I need. And I need that to work for everyone, everywhere. So that's the value of that standard, even though what's on the other end, all the apps, all the uses, all the devices, all the locations, all the networks, all that, the unified everything uh, is really everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so let's let's take this uh, concept of standardization one step further here, guys. Um, you know, back in the day when we were punting this message uh, about standardization across the enterprise, the the core message was always to do with exactly what you guys are talking about. It's you know the security impetus and also maintaining the overall integrity of the network, being able empowering IT to be able to do what IT needs to do with. To, to the best degree possible, a single click, you know? That was the concept, that was the notion, that was the ideal scene that we were all chasing, the 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 no, the, the holy north star, you know? Um, but I think that now um, it's, 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 it's interesting. We're at a time where that is possible across platforms and across devices. So unfortunately, whether we like it or not, there's a strong thrust towards, you know, individual preference in the workplace together with the fact that it's possible to manage across devices and platforms. So those two meeting points have left us at a point where CIOs and IT decision makers need to be thinking differently. You can't keep relying on this on this narrative that says that IT can only do what it does or what it's supposed to do in the presence of a standardized environment. So if we look at that rigid format of categorizing employees into specific buckets uh, and roles, um, you know, how is this changing? Uh, Bernard, do you have any thoughts on this? I, I do. I do have some thoughts. Uh, I think the first thing is I, I don't think we really did a good job uh, categorizing employees and roles in the past. Uh, I think we, we probably thought we did, but 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 I don't think we did. Um, I think we are getting better at it with the systems we have available to us. And I think there, there, there definitely is or needs to be a change towards classifying personas rather than, than actual roles. Um, and the idea behind that is that we want our employee personas to be as effective as possible. Um, and, and that talks to, to flexibility of device, location, application, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we want to have access to, to certain information that allows us to make informed decisions uh, on how we improve an employee's digital experience. Um, so for argument's sake, do we know if an employee is, is often on the road? Um, if you are often on the road, then, then a mobile device is, is going to be more effective than you, for, for you than trying to, to have a desktop on, on, on your lap as, as you drive around. Um, does an employee have access to the applications they need? Okay, so that's the first question, relatively easy to answer, but just as important is, are they being issued applications that they don't need? 
And is my organization paying a license fee for an application which is going to a user that they never use and, and don't have any need for? Um, is is the, the hardware and software that we are issuing to an employee, is it matched to their persona? So are they, are they as effective uh, from a productivity perspective on that device with that set of applications as they possibly can be? Um, and how we gather that information is we, we need some kind of system that does real-time digital experience monitoring. So um, usage of applications, uh, how is the operating system performing? Um, what, what is the hardware specs on, on your particular device? Are you running out of CPU? Are you running out of memory? Um, and I think we want to, we as, as IT and organizations would prefer to have that information before it affects the, the digital experience uh, uh, for the user and on his endpoint so that we can, uh, as far as possible, proactively remediate that. Um, because what we want to do here is we want to not only enable a great productivity experience, but we want to continually ensure a great productivity experience. It's great to set it up on day one and then walk away and say, you have your device, you have your apps, you have your connectivity, uh, see you in a year's time. Um, two days later, they've got a blue screen on, on their Windows machine and they have no idea why it's continuously happening. Um, we would like to know that, you know, maybe even prior to the blue screen um, and see if we can if, if we can remediate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good points there. Um, folks, just a quick reminder to all of our guests, uh, please make sure that you start completing your survey. Um, there's, there's a survey link that will be placed in, uh, in the chat box uh, very soon. Uh, just go ahead and click that and start completing it. It's going to take you less than 30 seconds. It's super important for us to get your feedback uh, so that we can keep improving these events for you. Um, back to the discussion here. I think, um, Bernard, you mentioned a whole bunch of really valuable points here about this notion of, um, you know, IT and getting uh, users set up. I think, um, you know, if we, had to, if we had to double click on that and go one level deeper on the subject of moods, personalities, uh, you know, different uh, emotional styles beyond just the, the, the guy who needs to get, a, uh, you know, get into his, um, uh, you know, his van and, 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 and get on the road, beyond just that structural aspect, what about some of the softer elements? Uh, just, just comment on that as well. So, so this personally uh, totally resonates with me. Um, I, I think that a flexible work style goes a long way in addressing some of the softer issues um, already. Um, I think a perfect example is, you know, Brian would prefer to work at 1 a.m. Um, in his sweater and, and the flexible work style gives him, gives him the opportunity to do that. Um, so really things like, you know, are you a morning or an evening person? When are you more productive? A flexible work style allows you to have, to have that, you know, to make your own decision with regards to that. Um, something that resonates with me, you know, do you need a, do you need a midday run or maybe a meditation session? Uh, to recharge for, for the afternoon's work. Um, I know that I've adopted that and it, it, it works really well. Um, and then one I heard on a podcast this morning is, you know, do, do you work better in your PJs or, or in your sweater? Um, I, I'll, I'll leave that as an open-ended question. Um, another, another really interesting um, psychological thing is, is that it's been shown that, that introverted employees are much more likely to contribute in a group session uh, when they can do it from the comfort of their own homes. So I think what you're doing there is that you, you, you're getting um, a creative input from, from, a, from a personality type in your organization that has a lot to offer, um, but, but are maybe uncomfortable doing it uh, you know, in, in a group where, where there's a lot of uh, noisy people um, that are louder than they are. And I think, I think that's fantastic. 
Um, a flexible work style allows employees to tailor their day, so, so they now have the power of, of, of deciding you know, when they work. Um, and really, they're tailoring their day to achieve more and to, and to contribute more. Um, so so to, to me, the, 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 the technology that enables uh, distributed flexible work, as well as the culture of distributed flexible work, um, really does talk to, to the software issues. And I, I, like I said, resonates with me totally. All right. Good, good, good. That's good insight. So, um, you know, I have a big question here lined up for, for Mr. Madden himself. Um, but before I launch into that, I just want to tackle a question that's come through from Jeremy, uh, Jeremy in our audience. Um, it's a big question. So unfortunately, I'm not going to uh, be able to read out the entire question. I'm just going to pick out the important bit here, which is um, this concept of choosing technology. So, so Jeremy would like to get a bit of guidance on, on in an economy like ours, uh, which he says is in distress. Uh, what is your guide for choosing technology when decision making has to be quick with very little time to actually do proper research? So, Nats, maybe just uh, let me throw this one at you. Do you have a quick comment on that before uh, I go ahead with uh, some of my other questions? Yeah, so um, uh, it actually lends itself to one of the questions that you were, you were going to ask me, but I think it makes sense to spend money on solutions that will address the current challenges that we face as, as, an, as a country. Um, but the nice thing about spending, spending the money on the solutions to address the current challenges is that a lot of, um, a lot of vendors out there, a lot of system integrators out there are offering SaaS type um, pay-as-you-go almost options from a procurement perspective. So there's flexible procurement options available to you. So if you do make an investment in the technology, it doesn't mean that you are necessarily stuck with that technology for a five-year period. You can either, you know, do it as a, from a SaaS perspective. So that's the first option. You can do it as a pay-as-you-go, from a pay-as-you-go perspective. And then also maybe look at how do you reinvest that investment that you've made once we potentially do all return to a normal, whatever the new normal would be. Yeah, I think that's very good, uh, very good advice there. And I think that we all need to start recognizing this, this new format for procurement. You know, it's very much in line with what we said at the, uh, at the start of the webinar. Uh, you know, we, we, ha we have to just start. And, and the fact that uh, IT costs have become so much more incremental on a SaaS basis and not just heavily capitalized at the start of the project, like how it used to be five, 10 years ago, because of that, we have so much more freedom to just go ahead and start. Worst case scenario, we don't like it, we turn it off. So I think the, the, the advice, um, you know, taking from what Nat said there, uh, just go ahead and start. You know, yes, we, we, we risk a little bit of cash, but it's not as big as it was back in the day. Um, uh, Brian, let me ask you the biggest question of, of the show. You know, um, this is the golden nugget question. It's really like everything that we, 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 we wanted uh, on the show. Um, and that is, you know, in the current work format with a, a multi-cloud environment in many instances, with a hybrid approach, multi, a multi-device environment accommodating many different working formats, styles of work, people, moods, personalities, how should we be handling that? Uh, yeah, that, okay, I get it now. A big question. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, like they say, how do you eat the elephant one bite at a time? And so it's the same thing about uh, we were talking earlier about the agile style of development or how we got out of the office in two days. But it really took us like six months to get everything working very nicely. But it was working OK in two days and it was working not too bad in two, two weeks. Um, that's what we do. You know, 
look at what's most important. Um, and uh, the 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 traditional ways of doing things in EUC have been very siloed. You've got one platform that manages Macs and one that manages um, uh, you know Windows machines, and you've got a VDI over here, and you've got some web applications, and maybe you're using Azure Active Directory. You might have a, a Ping or Okta or some other service in, and with some Salesforce apps, and you're doing it's, it's all these different pieces. And so, you know, start start to start to bring them together, right? I mean, this this you know, uh, Bernard is making the joke about U UEM being unified everything management. The UEM is unified endpoint management. That is a thing in the industry now. Gartner has a chart about it and everything. It's real, um, <laughs> and um, that's what allows there are you know single platform to manage all your devices, um, single, single platforms to manage all your users, all your applications. But it's bit by bit by bit. Um, the company selling this is you know this is what I do in my day job at VMware. If 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 I gave my my pitch just the vision and everything and then you said great I'll take it sign me up um, I mean it could be 15 projects over five years uh, to get everything because if you just as you're going from like your legacy systems to manage and putting everything in one place and hooking into your security systems and HR and internet everything together mm -hmm. um, so you know take it just take it slow take it slow um, and make sure every little step you take has real value yeah um, and then as soon as you get done take a breath take another step. Yeah. And then getting a little bit more into the product conversation here, uh, would you mind just giving us a, a quick snippet on why did you, I mean, you were the end user computing guy, like you were BrianMadden.com. Why did you select VMware as your place of choice from a, from a technology standpoint, not talking about the brand or anything? Like, just, just give some insight on that. Yeah, I was actually, um, I had made fun of VMware for a long time. I thought they were dorks. Uh, ah. And... Um, I wrote a book called The VDI Delusion in 2012. I like VDI, but I wrote the book called The VDI Delusion because companies like VMware were saying the VDI is everything. And I'm like, no, VDI is cool, but like everything, come on. Um, so I did not see myself at VMware. But, but you know, uh, since the VDI Delusion book was written, you know, VMware bought um, AirWatch to, to do mobile management. And then they expanded that to do Windows management and Mac management. And they bought a company that does um, like the cloud-based intelligence and analytics and security analytics and um, all these pieces in VMware put together the vision that said, look, we want to make one platform for, for managing all the devices, managing all the users, securing everything, delivering all the applications to any user anywhere, depending on whether it's a web app or a Windows app or a local iOS app. Um, sometimes those have to be Windows apps. Okay, let's put the horizon in there. We'll, we'll hook that in. Like, we'll put all the pieces together to allow users to be the individual snowflakes that they are. And VMware is the only one that's talking about that. Microsoft was all about Windows. Um, uh, Citrix was just about virtual apps. They weren't really doing the endpoint stuff. Um, uh, Google was just G Suite at the time. Amazon was doing workspaces, just DAS at the time. You know, um, uh, VMware had that. It was it was the right vision, um, and and that's 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 why I joined. It was the right vision, mm -hmm. and it's been um, almost three years. Wow, wow. So, so this is this is super cool. I mean, I think uh, I want to, uh, you know, uh, use that as the segue into uh, perhaps the last question for today. Um, folks, quick reminder to all of our guests, please take a second, well, not really a second, 30 seconds to complete a very quick survey. It's mainly drop down, so it's going to take you no time at all. Uh, please go ahead and start completing that. Uh, you'll find the link in the chat box. Uh, back to you, Brian, on this. And I'd like perhaps all the speakers, if you can, if we have time for it, if you can all just uh, maybe quickly comment on this. We'll be speaking now for a second about VMware and this platform and this vision that uh, VMware has very 
very much uh, made a reality over time. Um, you know, there are concerns in the market about becoming beholden to any single provider. Is there that concern when it comes to VMware on this point, uh, considering that it's a, you know, a, a multi-device, multi-platform management kind of experience? Uh, what are your thoughts, your initial thoughts there, Brian? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, you're using products created by other people at software vendors, and you're buying into that to various degrees. You know, to, to you, we've extended. You know, Windows is is a platform. Uh, vSphere is a platform for a lot of people. AWS is a platform. Azure is a platform. Uh, Active Directory is a platform. There are platforms that people um, buy into over the years, and VMware Workspace One is a platform for end-user computing. And so, absolutely, um, you know, you need to have that conversation. Make sure that is what you want. Um, but lots and lots of customers have, and they've been very happy with it. Okay, cool. That's awesome. That's a great uh, parting shot. Thanks for that, Brian. Um, Nat, let's get your parting shot on this point about uh, you know companies saying that they're feeling a little bit nervous about becoming beholden to any single provider, maybe from a local perspective. So I don't think, I mean, I think it goes back to my answer earlier to the question you raised. Um, I don't think clients should be worried about it because, again, there are subscription-based SaaS offerings out in the market. So if you do decide on the technology and, you know, in a year from now it doesn't work out for you, the flexibility is there from both vendor and integration to, to seemingly change because you haven't made a big CapEx investment you know, on a perpetual license that you need to pay maintenance and you're only going to, you know, see your return on investment in three years from now. The subscription-based SaaS offering models, you know, the flexibility is there. Um, you know, you don't want to be changing a management platform every six months because I think that that might be a bit, bit crazy. But you, you have the options to, to look at different scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then uh, before we go uh, over to Bernard, uh, just a quick note to everyone who's attending. Uh, please keep in mind that if you would like to connect with uh, Nats, with uh, Bernard, uh, you, you, you can just let us know by completing um, uh, your survey. And there is a field where we will ask you about next steps. And you can always request some consultation time. You can, you can request uh, a forum to just ask more questions and to take the discussion further. So we have that facility available. Feel free to request that uh, to make us um, to make it known that you'd like some follow-up activity. Um, and then, uh, Bernard, if you wouldn't mind just uh, closing off that last conversation. I have to be honest with you. I wish I had something profound to add, but between uh, Brian and Natalie, I, I think it's it's been covered. Um, uh, I, I think I think the fact that um, a lot of platforms and technologies have moved away from perpetual ownership to to software as a service models um, makes makes organisations uh, a lot more inclined uh, to take that first step. Um, and and yeah, I, I agree with Natalie. I mean, the last thing you want to do is is change your 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 unified endpoint management platform every six months. Um, however, you, you you aren't tied in. You you absolutely do have the flexibility um, from a committed duration perspective, um, as well as a as an underlying vendor perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely great. Uh, guys, I think that today's discussion has been absolutely fantastic, beautiful, rich insights, really practical advice, really good content. So I'm, I'm super pleased with today's conversation. Thank you to uh, our guests. Um, you know, we had guests from Dimension Data, we had Nats and Bernard, and then we had from VMware itself, we had uh, Brian Madden. Uh, super cool having a very VIP guest today. So all around, I'm super happy. There's been a lot of good interest shown by our guests. Uh, we're going to be responding to everyone who's requested follow-ups. You'll, you'll get contacted direct, directly uh, by someone from my team. Um, keep those requests coming through. You can complete um, the survey at any point. Um, again, thank you to our guests. Great show. And for the rest of you guys, I will see you soon. Cheers.
Cheers. Have a great